Let me invite you to open your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 12. We'll be finishing with verses 8 through 14 today. Ecclesiastes 12, verses 8 through 14. Allow me to read this passage. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher, all is vanity. In addition to being a wise man, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, and he pondered, searched out, and arranged many proverbs. The preacher sought to find delightful words and to write words of truth correctly. The words of wise men are like goads, and masters of those collections, uh, these collections are like well-driven nails. They are given by one shepherd. But beyond this, my son, be warned. The writing of many books is endless, and excessive devotion to books is weary to the body. The conclusion, when all has been heard, is, Fear God and keep His commandments, because this applies to every person. For God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. Well, we're now concluding the writings of this book uh, in Ecclesiastes, Solomon is the author of it, and I picked up where we left off last week with that verse 8, vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. We saw that at the beginning of Ecclesiastes, in Ecclesiastes 1 verse 2, uh, that vanity vanities, all is vanity, and so he's closing, uh, begins his closing remarks by using the same phrase. Now, remember, Solomon spent pretty much most of this book examining the world in which he lived. He looked and saw the people living what we've seen throughout this uh, writing, living under the sun, which means they were living by their own will and desire and without God. And so Solomon was taking an examinating look upon the people in which he ruled over, and he realized how many people were living outside of God's will. They were living without God in their lives. And the term they use is under the sun, which basically means living according to man's will. Now, the other term that he would use would be living under heaven, which means living according to God's will. But the majority of the book of Ecclesiastes was dealing with man living under the sun. And he described it as vanity, without meaning, worthless, useless. He called it a vapor that was here today and gone tomorrow. So throughout this book, he examines the way of life, and he sees that man was basically living a very self-centered life. And so he showed how many live trying to make a name for themselves, trying to gain wealth and fame and fortune, and then only to die and leave it to somebody else to have. And basically it, it was worthless to them. And so then he says, you know, man tries to find happiness uh, in who he is, what he has, the positions that he has in life, the status he has, only to realize that all this is just fleeting and can be taken away in a heartbeat. So man without God can only find temporary joy. And there are people who seem to have joy and happiness in their lives that do not have God, but their joy and happiness is focused on who they are and what's happening around them, and that joy can be taken away in, a, in like I said, a heartbeat. Some tragedy happens, and they don't know how to handle the tragedy. They don't have a God to turn to. So basically what uh, Solomon continues to say is that when this life is over for those living under the sun, that's it. You just return to the death, to the dust that you were created from. But then along the way, he points out that there are joys in life. 
that you can experience. And he tries to keep pointing people to understand that God wants to bring joy into your life. And so many of these joys are gifts of God, even to those who are not God followers. God does want people to find joy in life. He gives people blessings, but not to the extent that he does for those who are willing to live in obedience to his will. So there's little joy, even with God out of the picture, but this joy is so small and compared to what it could be if God were in the picture. So the end result is living life under the sun is that in the end, there's nothing left. You die. Anything that you had possessed goes to someone else. Any fame or fortune that you had ends, and that is it. All is forgotten. Then if you look at verses 9 through 10, you basically see Solomon kind of giving his credentials, why we should listen to him. And he says, first of all, I'm a wise man. Now, that's not bragging. He knew the facts. How did he become wise? Not because he was a learned man that he crammed and studied books all his life. He simply became the ruler after David. And God asked him, Solomon, what do you want most? And Solomon could have asked for wealth and power. But instead he said, I need the wisdom to know how to govern your people. And so God blessed him with that wisdom. And in addition to that, he gave him the riches and power. And he was so renowned for his wisdom that leaders from nations all around would come to Solomon and ask him questions and gain from his wisdom. Uh, his proverbs are evidence of the wisdom that God gave him. And we'll be studying that beginning next week. So I'll start with a study of Proverbs next week. However, the problem is Solomon didn't always follow God's will. Solomon did not always use the wisdom that God gave him. How do we know? Well... Instead of remaining pure to God and worshiping God only, he allowed many of these leaders from other nations to come in and, and make treaties and pacts with, with him. And part of those pacts were usually bringing someone to be his wife or a concubine or whatever you want to call them. And so he ended up with, between concubines and wives, like nine or 900 to 1,000 different ones. Now, the problem is... Each one of these came in from different countries. These different countries worshiped pagan gods. And so to appease all these, he allowed them to continue to worship their pagan gods. And he would even build altars for their pagan gods. And of course, to keep them appeased, he also worshiped sometimes their pagan gods. So he was not monotheistic, which means worshiping of one god, but he was polytheistic. He would worship one God, true God, as well as some of these pagan gods. And so he was not always showing the wisdom that God gave him. Yet here we see him relying back on the wisdom that God had given him. He also calls himself a teacher. Obviously, a wise man should be a good teacher. And so Solomon uh, worked to teach people the knowledge and the wisdom that God had given him. He wasn't trying to keep it for himself that's why he wrote Ecclesiastes. That's why he wrote the book of Proverbs. That's why he wrote so many different things that we don't have. There are many Proverbs that we don't have in our collection in the Bible. And so he, he saw himself as a teacher, wanting to share his wisdom, his knowledge with others. Then he says, and he did this by spending time pondering 
searching out and sorting his understanding, and he wrote them into many proverbs. Now, I guess through some kind of tests, you know, I don't just sit down and just start typing out sermon notes. I've got to do some research. I've got to read and study and meditate on the Word of God and pray for the Holy Spirit to give me wisdom and an insight into it. And I do use some commentaries that help me to see maybe uh, an insight that I did not gain through my own reading. And so I can relate to the pondering. There's, there's many times that I'll do all my background research. I'll say, I don't want to do anything for a day. I want to let this kind of soak in and kind of, kind of meld and, you know, for me to kind of think through it. And so the pondering, I definitely understand the searching out is my digging into the depths of uh, what other people has, have dug out of the truths of God's Word. And then the sorting, that's basically saying, okay, now I've read you know, uh, the Scripture, I've read commentaries, I've prayed about this, now the sorting is, let's put it all together. And then he says he puts this into many Proverbs, now, that's one of the main ways that Solomon taught. He used Proverbs. I shared last week that the reason why he used Proverbs is because instead of doing like I'm doing right now, spending maybe a, a half hour explaining something, what he would do is basically use that one simple truth and put it into a little phrase or a little sentence and say, here's your truth. Now, as I shared last week, probably a large majority of his audience were illiterate, so they were not going to be able to read these things. Somebody would have to share them with them. And so if somebody read a half-hour sermon to you, how much of it would you remember? But if you, yeah, but if you take one central truth in a sentence and share it as a proverb, then it's a lot easier to take in and to remember. And so that's why I believe that Solomon used proverbs. And Verse 10, he says, The preacher sought to find delightful words and to write words of truth correctly. The delightful words are basically him saying, you know, I need to put what I want to say in a way that people will want to hear it. Now, the problem is sometimes we as preachers have to preach things that people don't want to hear. That we're all sinners. That we all deserve death and hell. That's not always the easiest thing to preach about. But we do understand that it has to be preached. And so we try to find the best ways to deliver a message that will keep a person's attention and to help them to tune into these truths. And so we look and we see, again, his main focus was, so that the words that I share are the truth. And that's my number one goal as a pastor, as a preacher, as a teacher, is that I share and teach the truth. I try my best not to add my own thoughts. If I do, I pretty much say, this is what I think, instead of saying, this, thus saith the Lord. And so he is a man of gifted words. He knows how to put things into simple proverbs for people to understand and to even remember and memorize. And so he has found the best way to convey the messages for the people of his audience. Then verse 11, it says, the words of wise men are like goads, and masters of these collections are like well-driven nails. They're given by one shepherd. Now we're going to dissect this first a good bit. His words are like goads. Does anybody know what a goad is? It's a prod stick. Uh, basically, if you were uh, trying to get oxen or cattle or somebody, or usually like oxen because they were the ones pulling a plow or something like that, if they just stood there and wouldn't listen to your commands, 
you take a sharp stick and stick them in the back of the leg and they would, want, they would, they would not want to stay in that position and keep getting stuck. And so a go was basically just a sharp stick that you poke the rear side of the thing in front of you to get it to start moving. And so spiritually speaking, what is a goad is God's direction for us. God trying to keep us on the straight and narrow path. God showing us the way that is right for us to live. And so Solomon basically says, that's what my teaching is, is to make you think about the path that you're on. And God has the right and has the ability to be a goad and try to keep you on the right path. Then he says, and masters of these collections are like well-driven nails. Masters of these collections basically means somebody who's taking these truths that I'm sharing and is claiming them as his own. You've you collected these proverbs, these words of wisdom, and you're taking them as your own. He says, they were like well-driven nails. In other words, they're anchors. They're not going anywhere. They are something that you can cling on to, and they're not going to change. And that's what the Word of God is. It is our anchor. It is our truth. The Word of God never changes. It's never contradicted itself. It is true. And so as we read and study and meditate on the Word of God, it is our anchor. It is well-driven nails. It's something that we can pass it on to and know that it's immovable. We don't have to worry about it shifting. Uh, there's no shifting sand in the Scriptures. And then he says, And these are given by one shepherd. Now, I don't know about your scripture, but in my Bible, the word shepherd is capitalized. Why would that be? Who's it pointing to? God, Jesus. Now, Jesus had not been born. He had not begun an earthly ministry. That was a thousand years later that he would come on and sing. But Solomon seemed to understand that the wisdom that he was sharing was not his own. It had been given to him by God. And we know that the one, one shepherd in our mind as New Testament Christians is Jesus. Solomon did not know Jesus at the time, but he knew that the word given to him was not his own. Now we know that the word is Jesus. First John chapter 1, in the beginning was the word and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then down in verse 14 it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And so we know, because we have experienced Jesus, His earthly ministry, that Jesus is the Word. But even Solomon seemed to have an understanding that there was a great shepherd that was leading him, guiding him in his wisdom, he was not claiming his wisdom as his own, at least at the end here of, of the book of Ecclesiastes. Then we pick up verse 12. But beyond this, my son, be warned. The writing of many books is endless, and excessive uh, devotion to books is wearying uh, to the body. Now, in Solomon's day, they didn't have a book, uh, bookstore. They didn't have Books Million. They didn't have Barnes & Noble. They didn't have all these places where you could go in and browse thousands upon thousands upon thousands of books. There were libraries. The Library of Alexandria you know, came into being later, but there were probably some libraries, but they were basically for the, the, the wise people. 
the really smart people, the, the philosophers. And you know, Solomon probably had his own collection of writings from other people. But he's basically saying, be careful what you read. See, throughout history, there have been some, a lot of philosophers. You got Socrates and Plato and Aristotle and all these people that we've heard about. Well, there are a lot more that we've never heard about that were writing their own philosophies. And so what Solomon is doing is saying, be careful what else you listen to. Be careful who else you read. And we really need to take that to heart because even if you go into a, quote, Christian bookstore, Lifeway or some other Christian bookstore, there are thousands of books in there. Do you think all those truly have a strong biblical Christian message? Unfortunately not. They are just touted as Christian novels or Christian writings or Christian uh, apologetics or whatever. But not all of them follow the truth that we find in the Word of God. So we have to be very careful of what we read. Now, I do a lot of reading non-Christian books, you know, just, just regular novels. I, I like the adventures and things like that that they take you on. I, that's, that's kind of my way for my mind to release and not think about other things. Uh, of course, I have to be careful with the types of books I read, you know, what, what happens in those books and things of that, that nature. Uh, very, very few of those have any kind of a philosophy to them other than, you know, start your mission and end your mission, <laughs> things of this nature. But when we are uh, reading things that are supposed to be spiritual in nature, we need to test them by the true spirit to see if they're true to the Word of God. And don't just accept that, okay, it's on the top of the bestseller list, that it's good according to God. Just because it may be on the top of the bestseller list at uh, Lifeway or something like that does not necessarily mean we need to read it. So we need to test things. And the greatest thing to read is the Word of God yourself. And pray before you read it. Pray for God to give you wisdom, guidance, understanding of what you're about to read. Ask God through the Holy Spirit to make these truths that are on the page become truths in our hearts and then that we can understand them and live them out through our lives. And so Solomon's warning is, be careful that you don't succumb to other people's messages. I don't think Solomon is saying, I'm the only one to listen to. He's basically saying there are a lot of people who are writing things that you don't need to follow, and we need to be very careful. So verses 13 and 14 kind of are uh, Solomon's conclusions. Let me just read this. The conclusion, when all has been heard, is fear God and keep his commandments. Because this applies to every person. For God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it good or evil. So here's Solomon's conclusion. When you've listened to everything else, here's what you need to do. Fear God and keep his commandments. Fear God and be obedient to God. That's, that's pretty simple. That's a pretty simple proverb, isn't it? Fear God and keep his commandments. So if we hear that over and over and say, that's what I need to live by, then we can live according to the word of God. So I think a lot of people struggle with that term, fear God. They say, oh, I got to be afraid of God because he might strike me with a lightning bolt if I tell a lie or he's going to you know, cause 
some harm on me if I disobey him or some uh, catastrophe will happen if I do something wrong. Well, we have to understand that's not the fear that we're talking about here. This fear is an awe of God because he is our creator. He is over us. He loves us. And he only wants the best for us. But as the creator, he rules us. He is our Lord. We need to understand that we need to bow before him in humble obedience. And that brings us to that word obedience. He is supreme over all, and we need to rely on him uh, to be our God, to be our guide, to show us the right path. And if we're asking him to show us the right path, and he does, then we need to be obedient to what he is showing us. Then the fear of God, uh, we realize, is that God knows best for us. He's going to show us the right path to follow. And as we do, we're going to be found in obedience to him. And obedience to God always brings God's blessings. God loves it for his children to be obedient. Now, all of us had kids, still have kids. We always loved them, whether they were doing good or bad, right? But didn't it tickle you when they were obedient? When, uh, when Matthew was in college, he got into the Baptist Student Union, the BSU, and they divided up into, uh, they call them family groups, probably about eight or nine you know, young people in each one. Well, he and his family group and maybe a few others would tag along, and they would get together and go places, you know, just, just to hang out together. Well, one time, I guess about a, 10 or 12 of them went up to Tupelo, and they were eating at a nice restaurant and everything. And the next Sunday, I guess it was probably the next day, we had a couple in our church walk up to us, and the guy had a little stern look on his face. He said, Brother Steve, I need to tell you something. We, we saw Matthew a bunch of college students at the restaurant we ate at. He came, broke into a big smile. He said, that's the nicest group of kids I've ever seen. You know, he said, when, when, the, when, the, when the meal came, they bowed together and blessed it, and their conversation was you know, joyous. You know, they were having a good time, and they showed that they could have a good time without alcohol, without you know, cussing, without all these things. But he was teasing me. He, he, was, he, he acted like he was going to tell us that he had done something bad. And, you know, it joyed my heart to hear that our son, you know, was following God. You know, that, that he and, first of all, he had chosen good friends. Well, first of all, he'd chosen God. <laughs> he'd chosen Jesus as Savior and Lord. But that he, he made a choice to have good friends to hang around with. And so I kind of think that's what Solomon is talking about, that we need to make wise choices in who we hang around with, who we talk to, what we say, and what we do. So that final thing is to fear God. And we do need to fear God that there is a day of judgment. And that's what verse 14 brings us to. Verse 14 says, For God will bring every act to judgment, every, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. And we talked about this a number of times. Every person will stand before the judgment of God. Those who are not saved will stand before what we call the great white throne judgment. And basically they will stand and be condemned according to their evil deeds. Their number one evil deed was the rejection of Jesus as Savior and Lord. And that right there condemns them to an eternal punishment of hell. 
and, but each and every one of their evil deeds will be judged as well. Now for us, we will stand before the uh, mercy seat of Christ. We will stand before uh, the throne of Christ. And we will not be judged according to our sins because our sins have been forgiven. They've been washed away. Jesus died for our sins. And in the, in the place of our sin, he's placed his righteousness. And so we will not be judged according to our sin, but we'll be judged according to exactly what uh, verse 13 says, our obedience, how we have lived for the Lord. And the thing is, as, he, as Solomon says, everything which is hidden... There is nothing hidden from God. He knows our thoughts. He knows our words. He knows our actions. He knows everything. So we can't just say, well, you know, nobody knows I did that. Nobody knows what I was thinking. Nobody knows. Yeah, God knows. And so God, again, wants us to be obedient in season and out of season, no matter what we're about doing. Our words need to be positive, They need to be uh, filled with love, compassion. They need to be uplifting. They need to be things that help other people along life's way. Uh, We need to be compassionate in our actions. We need to help people in whatever ways. God basically says, you know, Jesus summarized the whole scriptures and said, you know, here's the two commandments. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So, we need to love God, just like it says here, to fear God. And to, to be obedient is to love each other. Basically, if we love our neighbors in the same way that God loves us, to be uplifting, to be compassionate, to care, to minister alongside of them, then all the other commandments are fulfilled. And so we see that. Keep His commandments, love God, and love others. Well, now I'm just going to kind of conclude uh, our study here. Along our study, I shared several times, I felt kind of a frustration that Solomon was spending so much time dealing with life lived under the sun. Life lived without God. Life lived by man's own means and desires. Then, as we continued our study, it became clear to me Solomon was basically examining the people around him. And that's what he saw. He saw the majority of people living under the sun by their own means. And they saw the, he saw the vanity and the futility of their lives. And I think I even mentioned, if Solomon were here today and he did what he did to the people of Israel in his day where he examined the lives of those around him, he would come to the same conclusion that life is vanity. That people, the majority of the people are living under the sun. They're living by their own means, their own desires, and they are not living unto God. So even Solomon, with all of his power, with all of his wisdom, he could not control the people that he ruled over. They lived according to their own desires. It does not matter what president we have in the White House. We're going to live by whatever means we want to. Now, we may be somewhat influenced by who governs over us, but at the same time, we choose the path that we follow. And guess what? We're the ones responsible. Joe Biden, Trump, neither one are responsible for the way I live. I'm responsible. 
And that's basically what verse 14 says, that God will bring every act of judgment, everything, even if we think it's hidden, whether it is good or bad. And so, like Solomon, we need to make sure that we're teaching ourselves and others that we need to fear God, we need to be obedient to His will. And so, just like Solomon, he couldn't force his people to live according to the Word of God, and we can't force anybody to follow a certain path in their life. However, God still wants us to be found faithful and to share His truths with those around us. Well, how do we do that? Well, first of all, we need to live out the truths. We need to live in obedience to the God's Word. We need to live with hearts of compassion and love and mercy and grace. And so as people see us living out Christianity, they see our faith and they see that it's real to us. So that's one way of doing it. And another way is to verbally share Christ with others. Well, how do we do that? Well, sometimes we can just say, I'd like to share something that happened to me. I'm nine years old and uh, I experienced Christ. I understood that my sins were keeping me from God and that I needed to confess my sins and that God has shown that the only way for my sins to be forgiven was to place my faith and trust in His Son, Jesus. And when I did that, uh, He forgave me of my sins, cleansed me of my unrighteousness, and He said, you are now my child, my son. And we can also even share a simple plan of salvation. I've got the Roman road salvation up on the altar every Sunday. So if anybody ever wants a copy of it, it's available. And we just need to understand that God's gifted each one of us differently. And the only way that we can minister is to minister with the giftedness that God has given us. There are some that truly have what I call the gift of evangelism. They can just stop and talk to anybody and God's gifted them to be able to share a, a powerful plan of salvation and draw people to Christ. Not everybody has that gift, but that doesn't give us a, uh, the right to not try to lead others to Christ. But others minister, or they share the gospel in how they minister to others. They see a need. Somebody's gone through a tragedy, and they, without being asked, they, they make a huge meal and they take it over and they say, this is one thing you don't have to worry about. God just put it on my heart to minister to you and to provide this for your family. I want to pray for you right here, right now, for what you're going through. I want you to know that I'm here for you. And if I can provide other things for you, I'm more than willing to do it. And just showing love, showing compassion is a huge part of that. And so we understand that we're going to live one way or another. We're either going to live under the sun, living by our own means and not by the will of God, or we're going to live under heaven. We're going to live according to God. We're going to fear God, and we're going to be obedient to His will. We'll either live a life of vanity or a life of blessing. And really, the choice comes down to us. No one's going to make us. Nobody can make us. But God is always drawing us to Him, if we have a heart that's open. And we always have to battle because Satan's going to be trying to draw us away from him. And so we need to always stay true. That's why it's so critical for us to read, study, and meditate on the Word of God each day and spend time in prayer, allowing God to speak to our own hearts and for us to share our, our needs with him. Let me close with a time of prayer then.
Dear Lord, we are so thankful for you and your love for us. Thank you for the truths that you've given us through this book and the study of Ecclesiastes. Now, Lord, help us to prepare our hearts for the book of Proverbs. And uh, Lord, just pray that you'll always help us to realize there's two ways to live. Living life under the sun or living life under heaven. Lord, help us to see the blessings of living according to your will, uh, having fear of you, Lord, not being afraid or scared. Lord, having uh, an awe, a worshipful attitude, knowing that you are our God, you're our Savior, you're our ruler, you are everything. And Lord, then to live in obedience. And Lord, we don't have to memorize hundreds and thousands of rules and regulations. Lord, you condense them down to something very simple, to love you with all of our entire being and to love others the same way you loved us. So Lord, help us to live out those simple truths. And Lord, we know that we'll be blessed by you, maybe not in ways the world sees blessings, but we will, uh, we will experience your presence, and your power, and your purpose in our lives. And you will truly give us joy and peace. No matter what the situation we find ourselves in, we'll know that you're with us and that you love us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.